You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you have your copy of scripture, will you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word in Matthew 27. Now, On the screen, we are going to begin in verse 11, but let me show you context. It's always important. I want to show you context here. So if you have your copy of scripture, look at verses one and two, and that will give you context. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. So the setting is Jesus in the presence of Pilate. Now, that being said, let's pick up in verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast of the governor uh, was a custom to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do? What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged, Jesus delivered him to be crucified. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we see the injustice, we see the the shame and the pain We see you, Lord, choosing a route of powerlessness. We see you submitting to evil men. God, I pray you will teach us your way today, that you will teach us the way of love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this last Friday night, we were blessed. We had a concert here, and we had the Ballou family and the Mathis family leading us in some Southern gospel, and we had a had a really good time together. I'm so thankful for that time, brother. And I just want you to know, Pastor Hosey, that uh, I hope I, I can learn your moves. You've got good moves, brother. Uh, I saw you. I don't, if I did that, I'd break something. But anyway, there's an old song the Gaithers sing, and it's called Give It Away. If you're from the 90s and you're thinking the Red Hot Chili Peppers, get that out of your mind right now, okay? 
It is not that song. But this song, I should have never said that. But anyway, um, I heard this song years ago, and I knew, I knew a man in DeSoto, believe it or not, that was best friends with, with Bill Gaither and knew the background of, of this story and where it comes from. But here's what the Gaithers say in this song. If you want more happy than your heart will hold, if you want to stand taller if the truth were told, take whatever you have and give it away. If you want less lonely and a lot more fun and deep satisfaction when the day is done, then throw your heart wide open and give it away. This is Jesus's way, by the way. This is the way of the cross. And I want to warn you, if you do not choose to live the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, you will substitute a life of power to seek something other than the love of Jesus. Often what we will seek is power. The accumulation of fame and wealth and influence, that's the way of the world. And for many of you, as you're beginning your lives and careers, that's the choice uh, that we have to make. Are we going to pursue a life of money and power and fame, or are we going to pursue the way of Christ? The Gospels show us Jesus having access to power. We know that he had power to heal. We know that he had power from on high to teach a message that was from God. And yet we see Jesus, strangely, forsaking all the powers of this world and submitting to the will of the Father. I want you to realize that the title of the talk here today ought to tell you the kind of mystery we're dealing with. Power to submit. Those two words, power and submission, really don't go all that well together. Jesus is the God-man. And many would say that those two words don't make sense either. But we know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the God-man. And he also shows us that if we follow him, we can have this amazing power to submit. When we capture this idea, what we are then able to do is love people in a way that is unlike anything they have ever experienced. The world needs something different than what much of the church, many of the churches of today are giving. Many of the churches and many Christians of the day are not submitting to God, not submitting their lives, not surrendering their power, and it shows. We have a higher standard, but here in Jesus' trial, we see a lower standard. I read to you this passage. I wanted you to see what Jesus was dealing with, not so much with Pilate, but you'll notice that with the chief priest and the elders, they are, they are not being fair. All throughout the Gospels, we get the sense that, that Jesus is being uh, maltreated, and there's no doubt that that is the case. But I want you to see that Jesus took this on for a reason. He took on the unfairness because that was the only way to the cross and that was the only way to save us from our sins. I want to ask you this question. Is it possible we are powerless in the church because we are concerned about justice and fairness rather than seeing God's will being done? Now, justice and fairness. I want to pause for a moment. I'm not talking about societal-wide injustices. We need to stand up for those who are oppressed. So don't read that into that sentence. What I want you to realize is I'm talking about you personally. What are you more worried about? Getting things your way, being treated justly and fairly, or are you concerned about getting the message of God out into the world? 
Because I want to tell you, I think that most of us, when we tune into television and we, we, all we do is read stories about politics and we get upset about the way Christians are treated in this country and in other countries, I get it. Again, we want to stand up against injustices, but so many times we get so wrapped up in trying to defend ourselves that we forget that Christ is our defender. We need to realize that the church today needs to be stronger. You can't experience God's love if your feelings are hurt all the time. Church, we have to get tougher than this because the world is going to put a hurting on your feelings. You're going to have to realize that you need power from Jesus. You need courage to give away everything for Jesus. This is a hard talk today for those of you who are rule followers, those who want to be treated fairly. I get it. We're all that way. Decent human beings should behave better. But look at this text and tell me, are are they behaving correctly? Is this okay treatment? No, there's no justice here. There's only a pursuit of power. But you and I must be different. We must pursue Jesus. We pursue Jesus because he provides for us a love like no other. And it begins with the power to submit. Now, I want to show you something here. Uh, First, we're going to look at verses 11 through 14. And you'll notice that Jesus does speak once to Pilate. And he just says, you have said so. That's all he says. But you'll notice that this paragraph, it says again and again, he gave no answer. Um, And then the question is asked at the end of verse 13, but verse 14 says, but he gave no answer. So silent was he, Jesus, that they were greatly amazed. So first, I want you to realize Jesus is fulfilling prophecy here. Let me take you to Isaiah 53, 7 and see that he opened not his mouth. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So the prophet Isaiah, many, many hundreds of years before Jesus, predicted that this very thing would happen, that Jesus would be in a place to defend himself, a place where he could declare the injustice of the system, and instead of declaring the injustice of the system, he said not a word so that he could go to the cross. What does this mean? What does it mean? Well, first, let's look at what he does say. He says to Pilate, in the Greek it would be su legais, Just two little words, you say so. One of the things that's going on here is a debate, a a, a discussion, a difference of opinion in terms of who the king is. Is Jesus the king? Well, yes and no. From a Roman perspective, Jesus is not trying to be an emperor or a king like they would think of it in a worldly sense. But from the Christological perspective, the Messiah's perspective, yes, he was being a king in that way. And so his answer actually fits perfectly. Uh, He says, you have said so, because that's the language that Pilate is using. And though Pilate doesn't completely understand what's going on, uh, let me tell you who does. The chief priests and the elders. The chief priests and the elders know exactly what's happening. They know exactly who Jesus is claiming to be, and they don't like it one bit. 
This ought to blow your mind. Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read three verses, uh, three and a half verses to you this morning from Isaiah 53. But Isaiah 53 is just one of the addresses that we have for the Messiah. There are scores, if not more, prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. And let me tell you, these old boys, the chief priests and the elders, they knew their Bible. Jesus doesn't answer the people who know their Bible because he knows they know and they're still being unjust to him. He speaks to Pilate, who in a sense is theologically innocent, if not naive, but he won't speak to the people who know. Let me just pause and say this to you, my brothers and sisters. If you have been raised in the good book, praise the Lord. If you know the word of God and have treasured it in your heart, praise the Lord. But let me let you in on something. You are accountable to the Lord. And those words from God were meant for something. They are meant to shape you and form you and help you in this world. To guide you and to guard your heart. These men, the chief priests and elders, did not deserve a response because they had already denied the Christ. And there are many people today who know the truth of who Jesus is and are looking forward to a place called heaven and they're not doing one single thing in this world about it. That would be many of us in the church. Pilate is calculating and not caring. He's just trying to do his job. But let me tell you, these Others who know what's going on, yeah, they're doing a job, but they're ignoring the power of God. Pilate is greatly amazed because he won't push back, because Jesus is a, a person of peace. People of peace are rare in our day. Even in the church, I'm finding more people who are of the elk of the eye for an eye, Old Testament, Leviticus 24, 19 and following, rather than the turn the other cheek variety. Matthew 5, 38. Let me just say this. Jesus' way is harder. It's always harder. Jesus' way is not easy. Listen, I'm glad you're here in a comfortable seat. Someone said at the concert Friday night, I had two different people say, these seats are so comfortable. I could sit here and listen to a sermon for an hour. No, you can't. <laughs> if I preach for an hour, I'd get, the e I'd get emails probably. Listen, we're weak. We're not strong. We're not living in the power of Christ. We get upset over every infringement of our perceived rights, and Jesus is telling us to turn the other cheek. Let me tell you something. The unchurched aren't interested in the church because the church isn't all that interesting. Or better stated, we're not all that distinct from the world. We slap back when slapped, and guess what? A pagan does that better than you. You're not impressing them when you get upset because that's what they do. But I'm here to tell you, I believe that the answer is radical love. If we open our mouths, let it not be in self-defense. Let us open our mouths with love. Love. I, I want to be careful here when I recommend a book. Sometimes people read it. You don't have to read this one. And when I tell you who it's by, most of you will not even try to read it. Leo Tolstoy wrote a book. Usually when Russians write books, they're really long. This one's not really long, but it's one I don't really agree with. It's called The Kingdom of God is Within Us. He wrote it later in life. 
Much of this, this writing I disagree with because he takes something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and he says we need to live by that, but he doesn't take it in context with the rest of the New Testament. So that's not okay. So he picks and chooses. Now listen, Tolstoy's not a preacher, so I'm not going to get on into him too much. He didn't know what he's doing. He's a great writer, but not a good preacher. But one of the things about this book that kept getting on me is that Tolstoy was right in this one way. He kept saying, he's, he's arguing with Orthodox, uh, Russian Orthodox Christians of his day, okay? And he's saying to them, you guys talk a lot, but you don't sound like this guy, Jesus. He keeps saying for like, you know how Russians are. It's like 500 pages. He's saying the same thing. 500 pages. He's saying, you don't act like this. And I'm reading that. And I'm, my mind, when I read, unless I'm reading the Bible, I am questioning everything. When I read the Bible, I just rest and believe it's right. But if you give me something to read, I'm going to tear it up. That's what I do. Because you're not God. I'm going to listen to God, but I'm going to question you. So I'm tearing up Tolstoy, but Tolstoy's tearing me up because he's right. We claim to follow Jesus, but when we see a hard saying, we go, well, that must be for someone else. Just like a stop sign in Springfield is for someone else. <laughs> no, brother, it's for you. We have a roundabout around, right down from our road. I'm telling you, nothing shows human stupidity like a roundabout. Okay, that's just neither here nor there. I keep, well, I wish Jesus would have said something about a roundabout. Then I'd have authority. But hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Let, don't, don't let me lose you here, okay? Don't let your frustration with driving or my preaching get you, you know, uh, off the mark here. I want us to sound more like Jesus. I want us to act more like Jesus. And, and he opened not his mouth at the time you and I would be opening our mouths and inserting our foot. He's trying to defend himself, or he's not trying to defend himself in the way that we would. We get upset and immediately start talking, but Jesus, when he's being treated unfairly, he opened not his mouth. But let me tell you what he did do. He opened up his heart for you. He didn't open up his mouth and try to to win a case or win an argument. Hear me, we're not here to learn more facts about the Bible to win arguments. We are here to win hearts. Love people well and they'll listen to what you have to say. But if you're not loving them well, you're not going to win them. We want to win people to Jesus. Open not your mouth, but be willing to suffer as Jesus did. He had the power to submit. Sacrifice what's yours for the souls of others. Oh, friends, we can start living like Jesus when we give away our best like Jesus. Second point, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. This comes from Isaiah 53, 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, the one-two punch of this wicked world is oppression and judgment. Everything about this passage shows us the oppression of the Romans and, quite frankly, the Jewish leaders. The judgment uh, that they're bringing on Jesus is unfair. 
Uh, there is nothing spiritual about any of the behaviors we see here in our text here in verses 15 through 23, where we're focused for a moment. In verses 15 through 23, you see the story, you know it well. Jesus um, is brought before a crowd of people, and they now know almost with exact certitude where this spot would have been. The, the, this exact spot, you can go there today in the general vicinity and see where Pilate would have been sitting, where the people would have been gathered. And there was a tradition, and here's what's interesting. Uh, we've lost this tradition in history. There is a oblique reference to it in the Mishnah, but even that we're not sure connects with this. There's no other mention of this tradition, but it seems like this was real. It has the ring of reality because guess what? The, the scriptures are telling us things that are true. That's just the way it is. Eyewitnesses give us the story. And basically there was a tradition in that day, and Pilate knew about it, where uh, one of the bad guys, one of the thieves, one of the people arrested, one of the people that the Romans had put in jail was going to be released. And so Pilate's clever. He's a clever chap. He says, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, my wife tells me that this guy's a, a good guy. She's having bad dreams about it. I don't see anything wrong with him. Um, I'm going to see if I can get him off the hook with this tradition. He's clever. But Caiaphas and the priest are more clever. They knew that this was Pilate's one card up his sleeve. Pilate plays his card, and then Caiaphas and his team play their two cards. And the two cards are this. They'd already set people up in the crowd to stir them up and to cry out for the other guy. I don't know that they knew who the other guy would be. Barabbas is who it ended up being, but that's who it was, and that's who they cried out for. By oppression and judgment. Barabbas was a bad man. He was a man who had blood on his hands. He was a man who was trying to defeat the Romans the old-fashioned way, and that's with swords and spears. The Romans were a violent people. They built their empire on the backs of the weak and on the blood of the many. I have stood in the ruins of their great empire knowing that that was all built on blood. You can appreciate it if you want to, but the story is dark. Built on blood. Oppression. Some would say that our country has been built on that too. I think if we go back far enough in history, we can say that about every culture. Because every society is of this world in one way, shape, form, or fashion. Jesus came to experience oppression and judgment to overcome it. Church, we need to realize that it is our job to stand up for the weak, but in so doing, we will take a punch. I'm here to tell you that Jesus, when he stood before these chief priests and elders, he doesn't say anything, and even here, there is silence. But what we realize here is that when people in power feel threatened, they oppress. And that's what we see in this text. Jesus is only called Christ by Pilate. He mentions it twice. Look at verse 17 and verse 22. The people call out for the one Pilate calls Christ. Now, I'm not saying he was saying that out of belief, but he uses those words. He says, do you want to crucify your Messiah? And they don't just say yes. They say yes and may his blood be on us and our... See a lot of little ones out here. I want you to ask yourself what kind of hatred you have to have in your heart 
to put the blood guilt of an of an innocent man on your children. Do you see the hate? The world will hate us too Amen. if we love them like Jesus loves them. Those who are called according to his purpose will be saved, no doubt. But the world and those who are connected to the powers of this world and the concerns of this world, they're not going to be impressed with your love and they will put a hurting on you. That's the way it is. If your feelings get hurt easy, you need to get tough because if we're going to be radical, if we are going to live the life that Jesus has called us to live, we have to get tougher. We have to take the nasty words. We have to take the slap in the face and turn the other cheek. We must be like Jesus. If we want to see Jesus bring revival, we must renounce all ways that are contrary to the way of Christ. What would you give away? What would you give away for the sake of lost souls? One more thing. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. This comes from Isaiah 53.10. I'm going to read just a little bit of verse 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Isaiah says. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. We see here in verse 24 that Pilate was gaining nothing. He was gaining nothing. Let me tell you why he was gaining nothing. Once again, he had misread his opponents. He did not know that Caiaphas had already seen this coming. If you have time today, look at John 11. 45 through 53. This is long before um, the, the cross. Caiaphas had received a word from the Lord, and it was a word from the Lord. And the word from the Lord that came to this man who ended up being a very wicked man, I believe, the word from the Lord said that it would happen that one man would die for the people. Now, Caiaphas read that as Jesus becomes the scapegoat. But God meant it as Jesus becomes the Lamb of God. You see the difference? Caiaphas saw a scapegoat, but people of faith only see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And for the sins of the world to go away, it was the Lord's will to crush his son. Often I will be talking with people, and I'll say, you know, the story of Abraham and Isaac as a father makes very little sense to me. I see my son, Zach, I see his face, and I love him. And I can't imagine what Abraham felt like as the knife began to plunge. But what that story is about is that God spares Abraham's son, and then later will show us that he will not spare his own son for us. It was the will of the Lord to crush his only begotten son. What's happening in this text is the fulfillment of many years of prophecy that Jesus would die for our sin. You see, sin condemns us, but Christ redeems us. Jesus submitted to the cross to free us from sin. This is Christ's way, but is it your way? Will we lay down any power we have for those who are sick, those who are lost, those who are our enemies? You see, this is the power that Jesus gives us, the power to submit, 
The power not to ask, what can I get out of it? But the power to say, I don't want anything out of it. I want to give to others as Jesus gave to me. And the church will never have power in this world until it seeks this sort of power. We need power like this. Listen, many of you in here are much younger than me. You have decades left. You have energy to expend. Give it to Jesus. Start reading those letters in red and take it seriously. God is calling you to more than sitting in a pew. He is calling you to more than being nice every once in a while, like when they get your coffee order right. He's asking you to be kind the darkest of the dark and the cruelest of the cruelest. We're not interesting anymore to the world because we're no different. We don't turn the other cheek. It's eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, baby. That's how we operate. And yet here is this Jesus taking the sins of the world. Here is this heavenly father who will crush his only son for us. Let me read to you the words in red. Matthew 16, 24 and 5. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Words in red like that. Many of you know them by heart. You're just not living them out with your heart. You're not denying yourself. The minute that a discomfort comes, you go the way of the world and not the way of the cross. And yet Jesus is still saying, follow me. And I want you to know that Jesus is warning you that whoever would save his life in this fashion will lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake of Christ will actually find it. In fact, I think this verse is just telling us that it's time to give it away. Give up your struggle against God. If you're here today and you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, come to him. Ye who are heavy laden, come to him and he will give you rest. For some of you, you need to give it away and take up the call of ministry. Some of you have been called to the pastorate. Some of you have been called to missions. Some of you have been called to lead a nonprofit. Some of you have been called to walk away from a lucrative job or a lucrative future career to come and follow Christ. Lay it down. You have the power to submit. Stop walking in the wrong direction, but give it to God. Revival needs to come into our land, and it will come when the church starts acting like the church and we start sacrificing like our Lord. You have the power to submit to Jesus now, to surrender to him. Let me read to you those words that we started with. If you want more happy than your heart will hold, if you want to stand taller if the truth were told, take whatever you have and give it away. If you want less lonely and a lot more fun and deep satisfaction when the day is done, then throw your heart wide open and give it away. Give it away. Give away. Give it away. Give away those passions and desires that are from your heart, and let Jesus take over. The church shouldn't be boring anymore. We'll be interesting. We'll be a target is what we'll be. If we start living and loving like Jesus, we'll be interesting, all right? We'll be a target. But let's keep our hearts pure. 
because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.